Hatsmariet, welcome to First Up, it's Ramere. That's Friday. The 3rd of June, Kwanathan Rarere Aho coming up. Britons kick off four days of celebration in honour of Her Majesty the Queen. We're at a long lunch right now. Uh, how much would you get for a toe if you sold it in Zimbabwe? You'll find that out today. US firm Silver Lake buys a $200 million stake in New Zealand rugby. And Jack, the lumberjack, Jordan, explains how he cuts through trees like they're chopsticks as he did to win the World Timber Sports Trophy. Yeah, during it, my body's real sore. Like, it, it looks hard. It's a whole lot harder during it. I did have quite a big night afterwards, and yeah, I was quite tired the next day. But as far as my body goes, it feels pretty good now, yeah. Manuia le taiau, tato malamalama mua mua. Hello, welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Rarere with you today. Well, Britain's kicked off four days of celebrations marking the 70th anniversary of Her Majesty's ascent to the throne. Uh, Prince Andrew, though, he's tested positive for COVID-19. He looks very sweaty. Uh, that's ruling him out of events honouring Queen Elizabeth II on this jubilee. The BBC's Dan Johnson reports from Buckingham Palace. Some of the youngest royals were first on display, squinting in the bright morning sunshine. The Queen's great-grandchildren, travelling with their mother, the Duchess of Cambridge, and the Duchess of Cornwall. Prince Charles rode down the mall in place of the Queen, alongside his sister and Prince William. This was the first major event of this Platinum Jubilee weekend. One of the horses wasn't quite ready. But a handful of protesters were. They were quickly moved along. This was the first Trooping the Colour on Horse Guards Parade for two years because of the Covid pandemic. Politics has been set aside for a few days, so have family differences. We're told the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan, were watching with the senior working royals. Prince Andrew, though, was not present this morning. Trooping the colour marks the Queen's official birthday, but there are 70 years of service and sacrifice to also be thankful for. The monarch herself, restricted by mobility problems, appeared later on the Buckingham Palace balcony with her cousin, the Duke of Kent, watching the troops march back up the mound. There were plenty of cheers from crowds lining the street. And then the military parade gave way to the people, invited members of the public flying Union flags. It's more than two years now since the Queen told the nation in the grip of the pandemic, we will meet again. Then, as tradition dictates, a 41-gun salute for the symbolic head of the armed forces. Before all eyes turned to the skies for an RAF fly-past, 70 aircraft, old and new. The Queen was joined on the balcony by the closest working members of the royal family and their children. 
So the Platinum Jubilee weekend is well underway and what a perfect day for it so far. But there is, of course, plenty more to come. That was Dan Johnson reporting from a, a very excited London. It is nine past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National. Let's go to the USA now where I'm joined from New York by our correspondent who answers my, my stupid questions about what the, the White House smells like. She's Anna Burns Francis. Anna, thank you very much for replying to my message the other day on that. I'm sorry it wasn't more interesting. Isn't it weird, though? It doesn't smell like anything. And yeah. with a room full of, of, of people who've been standing in 35-degree heat for a couple of hours, you thought it might have smelled like one thing in particular. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. Um, ah, boy, we start this again, and it's horrible, and it's it's very Groundhog Day, but another day and another mass shooting. Where are we this time with this in the States? Yeah, yeah this time in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, of course, the home of the Black Wall Street uh, last century, but the population just under half a million. This time, also home to yet another mass shooting at a hospital of all places. Uh, at least four people, two of them doctors, are dead, and so too is the gunman because he shot himself before this was all over. Once again, people in America are asking if anything will ever be done about gun reform because the gunman had purchased his weapon, a handgun, and an AR-15-style rifle the day before. Um, Democrats want something done on gun reform. President Biden apparently is going to speak to Congress today asking them to work on the issue, but again, unlikely to make any progress because Republicans are already making it clear that they are more interested in uh, actions like beefing up security at school than stopping these sorts of events in the first place. Oh, I'm sure hospitals will only supposed to have one door from now on. They'll pull that one out as well. Something uh, that uh, the uh, the public have watched all over the world, the, the Depp Heard trial is over. We've seen what happens. How does Amber Heard pay that bill? Oh, yeah, she hasn't got many options. Uh, look, first of all, she can appeal, but the grounds for that do not look great. And it actually could make things worse because, first of all, Amber Heard would have to pay a bond for the $12 million, That's New Zealand. I've converted all these numbers, by the way, that mm. she owes Depp and it starts accruing interest immediately. She can file for bankruptcy, but she'd still have to owe him some money because out of that $12 million, there's a punitive damages award. Now it's been capped at about half a million. She'd still have to stump up with that. And there is, of course, that $10 million that she got from debt in their divorce a few years ago. Now, at the time, she said she was going to donate that, but she's then since said, I can't afford to donate it until I stop getting sued by Johnny Depp. So she says she needs the money. And she's probably spent quite a bit of that on lawyers. You've got to imagine after all this time. If she doesn't come up with the cash, her wages could be docked from future earnings for up to the next 30 years because this case was held in Virginia. Um, and it, that is a state which tends to favour lawsuits uh, for the plaintiff in these cases. At any rate, both of these stars have seen their earning power diminish significantly since these court battles started. And it doesn't look like there's going to be a grand resurrection for either of them, to be honest. No, I don't think anyone's come out of that looking awesome. Just going to uh, jump jump to a, a thought, a story I've seen a lot out of the states about this baby formula shortage, um, which is going. It looks like it's on the horizon, and, and President Biden has admitted um, the administration was caught napping. Jacinda Ardern was just there. Do, do, do we know? Did she offer New Zealand milk powder during the meeting? It, well, I'm not sure if she offered milk powder to him on that occasion, but certainly over the course of the week. This discussion about baby formula came up quite a bit from the Prime Minister. She repeated it a number of times to us that because, of course, Fonterra was also part of the trade delegation that came to the United States, the issue is New Zealand doesn't have a free trade deal with the US, and so there's a lot of regulatory reform that would have to be pushed through. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is I think it was probably a bit of a push given that we are in a baby formula shortage right now in the US, and the situation is pretty dire. 
it would be a big ask of US bureaucracy uh, to be able to freeform that enough to allow New Zealand to start shipping over cans of formula. Although, that said, Australia has managed to do it. More than a million cans of formula being shipped over from there. Now, it sounds like a lot, but don't forget, this is, of course, America. Parents actually want the brands that their babies already drink. Mm. Very quickly, a 3D printed ear is always interesting to me. Uh, Tell me about what's been transplanted onto a Mexican woman there in San Antonio. Yeah, amazing. This is absolutely incredible. Growing right here in New York. So it's the woman's own human cells. They took a little bit of cartilage, only half a gram, sent it to this company in Queens. And they also sent a scan of her other ear, which was healthy and sort of the shape you would expect. Then they pop it all into a 3D printer. And in 10 minutes, they had printed her a new ear. They've stitched it on. And it looks, I've seen a photograph, it looks like what an ear you would expect to look like. The company is working with 11 other patients. Um, slightly, I'm not sure if I'm ready for it to be this advanced. They say they're hoping to print things like livers and kidneys in the future. Oh my, go- oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Anna Burns-Francis joining us there out of New York. 14 past five and you're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radere. I'm keen for your feedback on many things. I want to talk about the Queen's Jubilee. What are you doing to mark the celebration? And another thing was, we always noticed that they always talk about how the uh, Queen Elizabeth is uh, you know, given a life of service and a, and a life of, of hard work and that. Would you swap your life for the Queen's life? Have a think about this. Have a think about the things you can do and the things you can't. Would you swap your life for Queen Elizabeth II's life? There you are. 2101. Have a bit of a think about it. Uh, you can email us uh, the old-fashioned way. First up at rnz.co.nz. Let's go to Africa now, where Russia is on the hunt for more friends, and uh, they're selling toes Yep, uh, in Zimbabwe. I asked our correspondent Nabil Ahmed, who's in Ghana, uh, that's where he is, uh, about the US deploying troops to Somalia. Well, the US has decided to send about 500 troops to Somalia to help in the fight against militants uh, Islamists in that part uh, of Africa. Uh, you know that uh, the troops have been there for some time, but then um, in 2020, uh, I mean, uh, Donald Trump actually withdrew the troops, and now uh, President Biden has decided to redeploy the troops to the country to help fight these um, militant groups in um, Somalia. And uh, we understand that um, it comes with mixed reactions because people do not know what the real intent really is if the previous administration actually withdrew the troops and now the new administration wants to send help to them. But then uh, we wait to see how all these pan out because, I mean, um, attacks by these militants have been very rife in Somalia and it has really destabilized the country for many years, Nathan. Uh, Russia, obviously, they've got a war going. They look like they're hunting far and wide for friends. What can you tell me about Russia and and Mozambique with an agreement? Yes, yes. Uh, well, um, Mozambique and Russia, they are trying to strengthen their uh, relationship. Um, and you know that um, a top politician from Russia actually visited uh, Mozambique to really strengthen the relationship. And when she went there. She actually thanked them for staying by Russia during the turbulent time when the decision was trying to be taken uh, to suspend Russia from the uh, UN General Assembly. And Mozambique was actually one of the 58 countries that abstained from the vote to suspend Russia from the UN Human Rights Council because of the uh, uh, Ukraine conflict. And um, while Mozambique has been able to stand solidly behind Russia. 
they feel it's a test of good faith, and then they will be able to really build on that relationship and also help um, each other, uh, Nathan. Uh, let's go to Zimbabwe, and uh, I, I don't know what to make of this. Are they having a laugh or what? There are rumours going around in Zimbabwe of people selling their own toes. What can you tell us about this? Well, Nathan, you know, selling of human parts is actually something that goes on in some parts of Africa for ritual purposes. Now, Zimbabwe is actually facing some harsh economic situation at the moment. And this actually started as a joke that people were selling their toes uh, for up to $40,000. And on social media, people took it to be very serious and they were asking where they can actually go to to sell their toes to make that amount of money. And uh, in Nigeria, for instance, people were also asking around if there are somewhere that they can also go to sell some bo- their body parts to make them money. Because all this has to do with the fact that they want to escape poverty, which is really rife in Zimbabwe at the moment. And even in Nigeria, which is one of Africa's largest economies, there is still uh, a lot of people over there that are facing harsh economic conditions, and they wouldn't even mind selling some parts of their body to make some money. This was actually a joke, but then some people have taken it serious, thinking it's actually something that's really going on in uh, Zimbabwe. Okay, so 40000 for a big toe, twenty five for a middle, and 10000 for a little one. I thought the 10000 would be worth more than that. Uh, um, anyway, let's go to something you do need toes for. Uh, we're in Libya, and this is interesting too. In Libya, they've, they've opened a skate park there in Tripoli. Yes, indeed. Uh, we understand that uh, skating is really a big sport in um, Libya, but then there is no uh, skating park. And this project that has really been done where uh, a skate park has been opened um, is really going to make a lot of um, skateboarders excited, skaters excited in Libya. Because um, since 2013, there's never been a skate park there. And we understand that there's a lot of excitement there because of this new skate park that has been opened. People will no longer have to skate on the streets as they usually do, but then they can now go uh, to their skate park where there is well-finished, I mean, equipment and everything. Uh, the infrastructure over there is solid and uh, they'll be able to prevent some injuries where uh, they actually do when they skate on the normal streets. Uh, this skate park is really a big project that many Libyans are excited about, Nathan. We're going for Big Sport Friday today. Let's talk a bit of football. I know you love this one. Ghana has beaten the mighty Madagascar in the Nations Cup qualifier. Tell me about this. Well, this was an exciting story because I'm Ghanaian. <laughs> and beating Mozambique by three goals to nil uh, has made a lot of Ghanaians here happy. And it's all part of the qualifiers for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations tournament. You know that the 2022 Africa Cup of Nations tournament, Ghana did not really do well. There was a very poor showing in Cameroon. And the Black Stars team are trying to redeem their image. So when the match, their first group match was played here, in Ghana, the central region, Cape Coast, uh, they trashed Mozambique by three goals to nil, and it's brought a lot of excitement to many Ghanaians. Uh, you know, uh, Ghana has already booked its ticket in uh, the World Cup in Qatar, and it's looking to also do well over there. But then, first things first, is doing well in terms of qualifying for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations tournament, uh, Nathan. That's Nabil Ahmed in Ghana.
21 minutes past five. I'm Nathan Rarere and you are listening to First Up on RNZ National. Uh, some feedbacks come and asked about what are you doing for Queen's birthday weekend? How are you celebrating? Would you swap your life with the Queen's life? Uh, here's one. Won't be celebrating. Can't wait for Aotearoa uh, to be free of the English monarchy. There you go. So there's uh, one against. Coming up, King Country farmer and champion of the world, Jack Jordan. No one better at timber sports than him. You'll hear from him before six. And also Rob Nicholl from the Rugby Players Association explaining what the $200 million Silver Lake deal struck yesterday will mean for players of the sport in New Zealand. Where they are standing in the rear. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. They are the big as your head. It's a long weekend. There's a special fruit that you might want in the middle uh, of your Queen's birthday table. It's called a pineapple. We'll talk more about that. Joining me now from the markets is our Minister of Fruit and Veggies. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morning, Glenn. Morning, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. Pineapples. Let's get into them. How good? They're good at the moment. Oh, yeah, there are not many fresh fruits to enjoy more than a pineapple. 30 years ago, most of our supply came from Queensland. Now we get super sweet ones from the Philippines. Usually harvested at maturity as they do not ripen or become sweeter after picking. And now they're prone to chill, so stay clear of refrigerated full fruit, but do use soon after purchase. Cut pineapple should be covered in refrigerator to prevent bruising and discoloration. It is the traditional base of fresh fruit salads and can be used for barbecuing with all types of meat. Fried or baked or barbecued as a base for rissoles, sausages, bacon for breakfast, or with ham steaks at any time. Now, you cracking up big time on Monday when you said eat a whole pineapple like an apple, maintain eye contact while doing so. Only mm. I would be like, What? You've never eaten a pineapple before? But we've got to get you down to the markets one morning, Nathan. You'll love it, and they'll love you. There's plenty of poke in the borax down there, sports talk, and people remember you from Ice TV. And you know, on the next Fruit and Veg report after your visit, we'll ask you the questions and you can tell what's hot and what's not. Okay, we'll do that. When you eat the, if you are going to eat the pineapple like that, remember to tip it sideways or the, the <laughs> green bits will poke you in the eye there, Glenn. Yeah, can we just get you, can you move closer to a window, Glenn? We just want to try and just get it, get the phone signal being a little better there for, for you. Thank you, because you're our most popular segment every week, so I know people would like to hear you clearly. Um Oh, there we go, there we go. Hey, um, leafy greens, um, they're at the moment, they're at a, at a premium, um, and, and we're not the only one suffering. No, we're not. I mean, a scary. Pr- we're not the only one that suffers with scary prices. A Brisbane supermarket had iceberg lettuces at eleven ninety nine each this week. Anyhow, closer to home, some of the less common veggies in good supply this weekend are parsnips, broccolini, Brussels sprouts, and new season yams have just begun, but these sold yesterday too, a keen demand. Coomer and carrots are in abundant supply. Now, we talked with Alan Kitto this week from Hastings, and he grows the buttercream and spaghetti squash. New Zealand grows at least half a dozen varieties in the pumpkin squash family. He has 30 years growing experience and one observation he's seen of late is that people like a smaller pumpkin at times to avoid half going to waste at home. So a buttercream are smaller at about 1.2 to 1.5 kilo, orange flesh and sweet like a butternut. You can steam it, boil it, but he likes them in a cold kuma buttercream cubed salad. And then you have a variety called supermarket squash. They come in generally when the buttercup season finishes. They have a nice distinctive flavour, not as thick inside, but lovely roasted. And the most popular salad here is still the crown, followed by the buttercup, then the butternut. And be very careful when you cut these vegetables, as the knife can slip off the tough skin and cut you, so pierce into the skin first. And a lot of nutrients are in the skin too, so don't hold back on, on eating that. Um, Glenn, we always we, we love feedback here. This one came in and, and someone sent me, uh, Leonard, sent me a picture of a mandarin that had been, you know, the 
pulling it off the tree quick there in this little hole at the top. He says, if the Minister of Fruit and Veg has time, I'd love to know if this really is bad for the mandarin tree or if I've been lied to for my whole life. Tell me about that, Glenn. Yeah. Great question. A reply to that listener on the Mandarin uh, ripping as you pull them off the tree. We rang our citrus expert Ian from First Fresh for the answer. If you do leave that piece of Mandarin on the tree, it can in fact increase the risk of disease over time to it. So the best thing to do is, is hold the stalk and gently twist off or do what First Fresh do and snip them off with ARS Fruit Snips Curved Nose 310. So look that up and they cost around $20 from farmlands. Oranges you can snap pick is the term, easy enough, but the softer mandarin is best to snip off and that cut stem left on the tree heals quickly to avoid any complications. So I hope hope they can get one of those uh, snips from Fan- the... Fantastic, yeah, from Glenn. That yeah, is awesome. Yeah. Yay. Yep. There we go. And, and that's good, eh? And fruit and good supply this weekend. Sorry, Nathan, our persimmons, apple varieties, dazzle and jazz. Look out for those and grab gold kiwi fruit before prices start to lift through winter. Now, fruit of the week is... No, hang on, wait, 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 Glenn, Glenn. Hi, Glenn. What's your fruit of the week? <laughs> it's pears. Yeah. Woo! I was going to say, it's a big ask in winter. Um, do we change that to vegetable of the week for the next three months? Well, we might uh, have to. We'll, we'll put yeah. it out to the audience. Okay. Yeah, but... But Rob Hollier, uh, National Pit Fruit Pro- uh, Procurement Manager for MG Marketing, he says get into pears this month as they're sweet, juicy and fully ripe as they haven't gone away into cold storage yet. Taylor's Gold are, are flushing, tougher skin but lovely f- flesh. Other brown pears to enjoy are Burbosk, which is Rob's favourite, the Winter Nellis and the large size Angelese. Then there is the green skin Packham, which which goes a lovely pale yellow when uh, when the colour ripe, you know when the when the colour changes and, and is ripe, and the red skin Peekaboo. Now that's still commanding a high price though. So yeah, pears this weekend, sir. Thank you very much. There he is, the Minister of Fruit and Veg. He's here with all your your pineapple, your leafy green, uh, your mandarin, and pear knowledge. No other radio show gives you that. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. There might be, I just made that up. That no other show does. Hap- oh, it is the day of our life we call the 3rd of June. Happy birthday to you, Rafa Nadal, darling of the tennis world this week. Uh, he's 36 years old today. Anderson Cooper, handsome newsman, is 55. The TV show The Wire debuted 20 years ago. Many people believe that that is the best series of all time. That'll get you into a TV argument with people. Uh, yeah, but 20 years ago to today, The Wire was released, and my mate Bees won't shut up about it. Uh, the first baseball team to wear uniforms was on this day. Teams ran around without the uniforms. It was the New York Knickerbockers, uh, born, and, and that was on this day in 1851. So, of course, you've heard of the New York Knicks basketball team, which their proper name is, the Knickerbockers, because Mr. Knickerbocker is the, uh, he's the, what do you call him, the logo and the mascot of New York City. There you are. Tony Curtis was born on this day in 1925. Of course, Jamie Lee Curtis's dad also dated Marilyn Monroe before either of them got famous. And on this day in 1956, few, luckily the police were there because kids in Santa Cruz were dancing to rock and roll at the civics, uh, the city's civic auditorium. Uh, that when the police arrived, Lieutenant Richard Overton, or Lieutenant America, reported that the crowd was engaging in suggestive, stimulating and tantalising motions induced by the provocative rhythms of an all-in-dot-dot-dot-o band. 
It's detrimental to both health and morals of our youth and community. So they banned rock and roll. But it's okay because Kevin Bacon showed up later and everyone cut footloose. So it was good. And that is uh, this day that we love. This is the day of our lives, the 3rd of June. Yes, And it is business time, so it's Giles Beckford we go to. Marlo, Giles. Marlo, how are you, Nathan? I'm very good. Um, booze tax. What's going on the booze tax? Oh, well, tax the the, booze. it's a good earner for the government. It's indexed to inflation, so on the July the 1st, uh, the excise on alcohol will rise uh, 6.9%, uh, and that will see probably uh, prices rise uh, at the bottle store, in the supermarket, uh, at the pub. Uh, what it has done uh, is to raise immediately a howl of protest from beer, craft beer makers in particular, but also the wine industry saying, we can't afford it, we're just fueling inflation. And it raises an interesting issue, which is that, you know, not only is it an income earner for the government, but it's also partly that that health measure, you know, which is that the money raised by the booze uh, goes to actually uh, reduce and treat some of the harm mm. caused by the booze. Um, and, but the industry doesn't quite see it that way, or at least some significant portions of them don't. But uh, if the government's actually going to give half-price bus fares uh, and the like, um, it's got to raise the money somewhere or else everybody gets on its back saying, well, you're just in debt all the time. You're just, you know, you're always running deficits. So it's the trade-off that we have. It's the questions that we sometimes need to ask ourselves uh, and perhaps some vested interest groups uh, need to have a, a, a second thought about it as well. I mean, it might push as high as a block of cheese soon. For it, you know. oh, I, I, there's no need to be unreasonable and silly about it. Okay, now. right, no, I won't do that. <laughs> or, a, or, or even a carton of butter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Get Actually, one of the interesting things in the papers this morning, or one of the papers, is that they've gone shopping at Aldi in Sydney. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they've done their basket of six or seven items and compared them to what you pay locally. And Aldi apparently is uh, six or seven dollars cheaper uh, on what they charge. That's even allowing for the conversion from Aussie to Kiwi dollars. So we'll wait and see on that one. I'm never convinced by those sorts of surveys because lots of things get in the way. Uh, it's it's cheap and easy journalism for which uh, I apologise already on behalf, <laughs> on behalf of our trade. But um, it's it's instructive. It's informative. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're going to see Aldi here anytime soon. And uh, I think it's one of those phantoms. I think uh, it suits some people's purpose to pretend that they're coming. But um, nah. Yeah, Aldi Aldi's, Aldi's, Aldi's is the supermarket version. If oh, I've got a girlfriend, but oh, she goes to another school you haven't met her before. That's, That's right, and, that and she's really good friends with Priscilla yeah. Yeah, you uh, and, and Steve, but yeah. they're just friends. <laughs> yeah, they're just friends. <laughs> they're just friends. All right, don't you worry about it. Well, have yourself a great long weekend. You Take too. care, people. Good on you, Giles. Uh, there we go, Giles and the business team back in action all day and on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. To the money markets now, your New Zealand dollar is buying things, other dollars actually. It is buying 65.52 US cents, 90.54 Australian cents, 61.03 Euro cents, 50. 
52.14 British pence, 4.36 yuan, 85.03 Japanese yen, 41.95 Russian rubles, and 15,204, oh, yeah, 15,204 point three two Vietnamese dong. All right. Uh, Barry's had to basically he's been tussling to try and get Vicky away from the get, get out of the way of the cricket I'm trying to write reports on it uh, but uh, Barry guys with us uh, right now Kia ora Barry Morena. Uh, tell me about what's happened in the cricket so far because first test against England uh, yes, uh, New Zealand uh, won the toss and decided to bat first and they bowled out for 132, which uh, immediately you would think uh, that wasn't a great decision. No. But uh, I think it's actually just gone to stumps because uh, I'm just looking off my phone because, as you say, Vicky's taken the TV yeah, she's with her. Is, eh? she's bad, um, right? 116 for seven in reply, England. So it's pretty even <laughs> after the first day. And those uh, English cricket fans that thought paying uh, the $300 for a ticket on the fourth and fifth day might have been... A bit excessive are probably going to be right because this could be all over in two days. So a lot of wickets have fallen. Uh, I think, uh, listening to, because I had to sleep last night, um, Mm. listening to the commentators, they said that uh, there was a lot of what appeared to be rusty batting from both sides and some accurate uh, seam bowling. It made the most of the conditions. And so that's the result. New Zealand 132 after deciding to bat first and AJS Patel was uh, put in the eleven. And in reply, is it stumps, is it, Nate? Uh, 116 for seven, England. Mm. So, uh, yep, all sorts of things happening uh, there. It is, yeah, Vicky's just pointed out from the TV. She said, yep, stumps. Serious, you might get back there. Um, I was just wondering if that new coach there has had them charging down the wicket uh, yeah. already, if that's what it was, and that's perhaps why they'd seven gone. Hey, um, the netty, tell me about the netball. Yes, uh, so the, uh, the Stars have uh, confirmed their place. They will host the elimination final next Wednesday. Uh, they're now top of the table, and if they'd had a far superior goal differential, they could well have hosted the grand final. But that will be decided tonight when the Mystics host the Pulse in Auckland. The winner of that will host the grand final. The loser will then go on to play the Stars next week. So uh, it's uh, those three have sort of been decided for a little while now. But where who was going to finish where? Mm. Uh, lots happening today. The Black Sticks men put in a better performance against the Hockeroos last night, and Lydia Coe's. Um, nearing the end of her opening round at the US Open in North Carolina. I think the last time I saw she's even par. And um, NBA finals start today too, Barry. Who what? The NBA finals start today. The Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. The bad guys from winning time. Yeah, I'd, I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to get too wound up in that since my Love team's it. not there. But, oh, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm with you now. I think I'll go and watch OBU play Johnsonville or something uh, tomorrow. <laughs> that's, my, that's my weekend. Let's go Johnsonville. So you and you and, uh, you enjoy you enjoy the NBA and yeah. I see the Rangers are still going in the, yes, the hockey. So, uh, yeah. Oh, they're good. Yeah. Have a good weekend. Some mate. great series. Cheers. Thank you very much Mr Barry Guy there uh, from the sports team and of course they keep you updated right across the day here at RNZ. Twenty to six. I'm Nathan Radade. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National between now and six o'clock. Uh, we're going to get into some timber sports. We're also going to find out about American investment and a big, a big amount of American investment into New Zealand rugby, and 
something for your taste buds. The Pacifica Festival has been looked forward to. It's a very much looked forward to event that's had to deal with cancellations these past few years. Organisers, though, are putting on Taste of Pacifica, which will cram the best bits of the festival into three weekends this month. To find out more, I spoke with event producer Teresa Flay. Taste of Pacifica is our hybrid event that we've put on in replacement of our Pacifica Festival that normally happens in March down at Western Springs. So it's a series of events that happens over three weekends in June and we kickstart off this Friday down at the Cloud with our showcase. Ah, yeah, because, I mean, gosh, so many times, is, you know, the last few years, I mean, many things have been cancelled, but it seems like poor old uh, Pacifica's got it worse than most, right? The, just the, the time of the year that it takes you has not been good fun. You are not wrong there, no. So even with COVID, we were hit before that in 2019 with the Christchurch shootings where we had yes. to cancel yeah, our full festival there. And there have been cancellations that have been right up to the hour. We've already been packed in. Everyone's been engaged. Planning's already been done. So they are quite heartbreaking. So that's why having Taste of Pacific in 2022 is really important for us and our communities to be able to finally put something and deliver something um, over uh, all the heartbreak we've had over the past three years. Yeah, so so tell me about this. The uh, putting this together and go, first off, who goes? Do you know what? Let's get to the nation through their stomachs because people love taste as well. There and, and okay. just and just even the involvement of of the uh, you know of the Pacifica community in helping to create this. I can't disagree with you. Food is really, really important. So it is a beast. So we have our storeholders, all from our food storeholders, our retail storeholders, all our performers and all our suppliers and all our communities. So what that entails is a lot of consultation with the community, a lot of planning, and we start really quite early. So we start months before the actual due date that we're about to deliver. Whereas Taste of Pacifica, we've been given this really short window because we made that decision to cancel in February so from February till now, we've been working with the, re-engaging with our storeholders and all of the communities to come on board and really share our Pacific culture with everyone over the next three weekends. Which nation in the Pacific low-key considers themselves, you know, we're actually the best at food here? Okay, so, oh, I might get in trouble for this, but... <laughs> When we have a look at our storeholder menus that come through and whatnot, every single island has their signature dish that a lot of people will come and flock to Pacific and come to all the villages to taste. In Samoa, you will get the iconic chop suey, which is, for those of you that don't know it, is vermicelli cooked with a special kind of meat and sauce, and then that gets all mixed together, and um, you serve it up with rice or taro and coconut cream, all the goodness. Yes, I'm there for that. um, I'm there for the supper suey, yes. And then Cook Island, you've got the minus salad, which is... um, Super, super rich and shouldn't be uh, taken if you're, you know, high blood sugar levels <laughs> and it, things is it, like that. Is, is, that, is, is that the the pink potato salad? Yes. Oh, I yes. love that. I love that one. I and the one. reason why it goes pink is because you, you mix a little bit of beetroot in with the yeah. um, salad mixture, yeah. But you can't walk past the hangi from Aotearoa. The, you know, everyone loves the hangi. We always have our mama's hangi that comes back on site and mm. she's got just plates full of hangi that everyone 
they they line up. They line up before she's even beginning to trade, just to get make sure they've got their tickets to buy some honey. Yeah, and and you know, uh, Kiribati there as well. Uh, New Age. I mean, this is really cool to get to go and and, and try. I mean, the Tahitian showing up as well, which is pretty oh. cool. I imagine there's a bit of a French influence there with some sort of sauces going on, or lime, or coconut, or whatever. I'd, oh, see, oh, I'm yes, already we, diving we, into this now. <laughs> yeah, we do have battles with um, Tahiti with the raw fish. They claim they own the raw fish. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of islands all have their different spin on raw fish. So yeah, it's really cool to be able to see the different variations of what some iconic dishes that are yeah. in within each island. What about other things around it? Like, Because I know a lot of people go on, they love the music and, and the, the, the festivals and the dancing of that, formerly of, of Pacifica. Taste, are you able to do that as well as part of it? Absolutely. So there is a main stage that um, all the 11 islands will be participating on. But as well as all the um, performances this year, we've got so many other stuff that's been um, developed that we've incorporated into Taste of Pacifica. So there's art, we've got an exhibition that's been curated, we've got a Talanor Bowl, which is a three-day series of presentations and activations. You can come down and have some kava, learn about what that, you know, the medicinal herb does, and you can share it with all of us. But as well as all the beautiful performances that everyone looks forward to, we um, have also got Sunday Soul Sessions, which is another component of Taste, where it happens over the three Sundays, and all of our Pacific musicians will go into Lily World at Mount Smart and perform for everyone. Okay, so I'm very keen to be involved with this. Can you just tell our audience, where do we find it and, and when do we find it? Yeah, so we start today, tonight down at the Cloud with our Pacifica Showcase, and then tomorrow across the Queen's Birthday Weekend, we're down at the Cloud with our Taste of Pacifica Festival. But you must go online because other um, across the other two weekends, we've got Super Saturdays and Sunday Soul Sessions. Hmm. So visit us, Pacifica, um, um, AucklandNZ.com, and there you will find all the programs that are happening across Taste of Pacifica. Mm, the, uh, that's the event producer, Teresa Flay. Get those uh, more details as well, AucklandNZ.com forward slash Pacifica. It is... Uh, Maths. It is 1126, 26-year-old sheep and beef farmer from Tomanunui. Jason Lentz has won the still, uh, sorry, yes, yes, has won the uh, still Timber Sports Trophy in Vienna over the weekend. No, 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 sorry, no, he defeated him. He's our own guy, isn't he? Uh, he, is, he is the lumberjack. Jack Jordan, thank you. Uh, our reporter, Leonard Powell, caught up with Jack uh, following a night of celebrations after becoming the world champ uh, and um, asked him how he came to be such a great champion. And it's going to be Jack Jordan! He is your new champion in the trophy format! Unbelievable! Fantastic! And the winner is Jack Jordan! That was Lumberjack, Jack Jordan, slicing through wood like butter on his way to taking out the still Timber Sports World Trophy final. Despite a rigorous competition schedule, the six foot four Tomaranui farmer says his body is feeling okay. To be fair, um, I'd never actually done that event before. I did train pretty hard before I come over, but all I trained on was just doing three events um, at the end of the day, like through three run throughs at the end of the day. I'd never done five before, and um, yeah, during it, my body was real sore. It was, yeah, it was pretty hard. Like it, it, it looks hard. It's a whole lot harder um, during it, but. Um, yeah, I guess not too bad now. I did have quite a big night um, afterwards, and yeah, I was quite tired the next day. But as far as my body goes, it feels pretty good now, yeah. 
16 of the world's top-ranked woodchoppers went to battle in Vienna, with Jordan beating world champion American Jason Lentz in the final showdown. Yeah, basically just had to do the full full race, stock saw, underhand, crosscut saw, and uh, single buck. Um, started with 16 men. We did a time trial um, to rank us and seed us to see how you eliminate, like see what pool you're in to get through to the final. Um, and then from there, it was just elimination through the final. So... All up, in the space of about three hours, had to cut uh, five races. Um, sort of the last four races, they would have been in the space of probably an hour and a half, I think. I asked how he managed to find training time while working on his family's 4,000-acre farm. Yeah, yeah, so it started to get a bit tricky towards the end there. Like when you had um, bigger days at work and that, you get home and you'd run out of daylight, so you're sort of training in. And your headlights too, which makes it a bit um, bit hard. But yeah, so you sort of got to juggle it with um, with work. But when she's when she starts getting closer to winter and that, then days get shorter. Um, yeah, you run out of time pretty quick, and you sort of got to prioritise that over work sometimes. <laughs> Prior to wood chopping, Jordan had a promising career lined up with the Taranaki MPC rugby team, which he's characteristically modest about. Yeah, I spent um, a couple of half seasons with Taranaki Bulls, and yeah, mucked around with them. But I did get couple of reasonably bad injuries and that through rugby which um yeah sort of puts a damper on things still play rugby now just um with uh one of the club teams in town but terminal eels i yeah play for them in town just social social sort of rugby it's quite enjoyable actually with his history of rugby injuries i asked whether he'd had any mishaps with the axe or saw nah no i've been pretty lucky with that um i've had some i guess close calls but no i've never really um, never probably hit myself. Now nah, I've sort of like the odd time you might nick yourself with the axe because they're so sharp, but not not while I was swinging. No. Tomodanui is a long way from Austria, eighteen thousand and twenty-one kilometres to be precise. I asked what it's like for a big lumberjack to squeeze onto multiple planes and travel across the globe. Um, pretty bad actually. I, I've been over here, well, not to Vienna, but I've been to Prague, been to Norway and Canada a few few times. Um. And I think coming over here was probably the hardest trip out of all of them, just travel-wise. Maybe that's because I haven't done it for a couple of years due to the old virus and that. But, yeah, the travel's real hard. We had one flight was 12 hours, the other one was 10 hours, and then one that went for an hour. But then, yeah, a couple of flights was 10 and 12 hours. Shit, they are pretty tough. Just before he hopped on his plane from Vienna to Singapore to start the journey home, I asked what the future holds for the 2022 Timber Sports World Trophy champion. Ah, uh, yes, I'm 26 now. Um, I guess some people would say that's that's your sort of prime for wood chopping. But as far as future goes, yeah, I'll just uh, train hard and see what events I can get to and, and go from there. I suppose I'll yeah, I was going to have a pretty 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 good crack at it over the next um, next 12 months and yeah, see where I can get to. Tomaranu is Jack Jordan, champion of the world. You go, Kiwi. New Zealand Rugby yesterday signed a $200 million deal with the US private equity firm Silver Lake, which gives them control of its revenue-generating assets. I think part of that. Uh, at a special general meeting yesterday, the 26 provincial unions and the Māori Rugby Board, uh, board all voted. Um, it was the last piece in the jigsaw that New Zealand Rugby needed to get that deal across the line. There were 90 votes, 89 for and one against. So, of course, everyone's looking around going, who was, who was that? Who was that one? I'm joined now by New Zealand Rugby Players Association Chief Executive, Rob Nicholl. Kia ora, Rob, how are you? Yeah, good morning, Nathan. I uh, enjoyed Jack Jordan's interview there. 
pretty good, eh? Yeah, good champion. Good to have another champ there as well. So, can you just help me with this? So, initially, um, I thought when Silver Lake approached, it was three hundred and eighty-five, about three eighty-seven million for twelve percent. This one signed off as two hundred million. So, so what percentage of the commercial wing have they got? And what, what, you know, how is this a better deal? Yeah, okay, I'll explain the economics of it. So um, the original deal was 12.5% actually at 3.62, I think, million at a valuation of 3.1 billion. Uh, This one, um, they put $200 million in initially as a convertible security or effectively debt uh, for three years and we pay 4% on that. And then after three years, they can convert or under certain circumstances be converted to equity and they would end up with 5.7%. Oh, okay. So, so they're, they're getting less, less percentage. Yeah. So the valuation is three point five billion, and of course, as part of the economics of the deal, um, New Zealand institutional investors, uh, which holds New Zealanders money basically, get to co-invest alongside Silver Lake, alongside their two hundred million, or somewhere between sixty-two and one hundred million, probably. Right. Well, that's to be determined. Um, so ultimately, when they convert, New Zealand rugby would have sold somewhere around eight percent, as opposed to twelve and a half percent, but ended up with somewhere just under three hundred mil. So at okay. a high valuation. So the economics are, are improved, which is good. But there's lots of other exciting aspects of the partnership as well. Yeah, and and Rob, I know that part of the thing was there's a lot of people feeling like, oh man, you're selling us off to America, uh, but a, but a but a pearl clutch about that. And also, I, I guess what the deal changed for you guys that you became more comfortable is it because we're, we're New Zealand rugby is selling off less of what it's got. And also, do, what does this mean for the grassroots players? Yeah, no, both very good questions. We'll start with the first. So. Yeah, initially we didn't like the economics and we felt that the partnership wasn't comprehensive in nature. So we've worked really hard with New Zealand Rugby and Silver Lake as we've worked through it because the game sent us a clear message. They wanted us to look at whether we could get to a point where we could approve a deal or support it. Um, Some other really important aspects to us was that New Zealand has got an opportunity to participate um, and they have through that institutional investment. But also there's a cascading waterfall when Silver Lake choose to exit because they will be a uh, a partner for a period of time before they exit. Um, we look at the option of an IPO, so of them selling to the public. And if the selling to the public isn't an option, New Zealand Rugby can buy them back, or we can organise a consortium to buy them back. So there's a really good opportunity to get the ownership back into 100% New Zealand hands um, once Silver Lake have, um, have contributed to the partnership and help us build the capability and grow the revenue, etc. So that was an important part. The other part of the aspect is of, of, the, of the partnership is that we're setting up a, a global rugby investment entity with Silver Lake, um, and that'll be the purpose of that entity will be to invest in opportunities within rugby outside of rugby in New Zealand, um, and that's something we never would have contemplated and never been able to do. But in the same way that Silver Lake have invested in rugby in New Zealand because it's seen as a leader globally and they want to be a part of it. Silver Lake are incredibly good at what they do. We want, we, we sort of thought, well, quid pro quo, if you want a bit of us, can we have a bit of you? And yeah. that's what we've got. And so we get um, get a really really good opportunity to co-invest alongside them under the deal, but we also get what's called a, a free carry. So there's, there's some really good upside through that. And, um, you know, by the time you package it up, we basically looked and said, if there's a deal to be done here, this is the deal. Um, and we will be 150% committed to making it work. And it appears that that's where we've got to, Nathan, and that's yeah. our focus. And if we make it work, the idea being that, you know, you drive revenue through fan engagement, uh, fan engagement, more people get more out of the game, 
um, hopefully participation and um, and the hype within the community. We can we can turn that trend that everyone talks about, or capitalise on the opportunity around the women's game and and the ones that exist out there. And so the community will benefit through that. But obviously, most people's eyes are on the financials. And you know, to be perfectly frank, um, it's going to take a lot of hard work. There's no nothing free in this world. We are a small country within a global sport that is mm. advancing pretty quickly. And um, you know, good on the NZOU for challenging the model. And we've now reached something that we think we can continue to take on the world and, well, and keep professional rugby here and keep the pathway here for the community game so that those that want to can. And well, good on you, Rob. Uh, Rob, I'm running, I'm running out of show. But thank you very much. Rob, Rob Nickel there from the New Zealand Rugby Players Association. Yeah, so good money coming in. Hopefully trickles down there to the community. You can listen to First Up right across Queen's birthday weekend on the podcast. Uh, Morning Report is next. Have yourself a good long weekend.